I guess just tell me how you started fishing. Probably the same way we all started. My dad took me. I was, I don't know, four or five years old. Worm and a bobber, you know. I'll never forget, we caught three bluegill that trip. My grandpa was there too, so it was kind of special, three generations, you know, and it was something he had done with his dad. He never really got big into fishing was the funny thing. It was just more of a father-son activity more than anything. And I don't think he realized the monster he was creating when he took me that first time. But, you know, it didn't take real long to graduate to the trusty Zebco. I loved the push-button Zebco. Was it, it was like a 33 or something like one that? one of those. Yeah. I don't remember, yeah. you know, catching bluegill on lures instead of worms. And, you know, it was... That's a big graduation oh, in, your man. Fi- in your fishing life, oh, isn't it? Oh, man, yeah. it was great. We were fortunate to have a, a good bluegill pond just down the road that we had access to, and that made a world of difference, you know, to be able to go and catch fish on almost every cast for a kid that was, you know, six or seven or whatever. Do you do you still have access to that by any chance? Oh, no, I don't. And I saw it was for sale, <laughs> and oh. I was so tempted. It's, it's a little, little out of my budget, unfortunately. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Big chunk of land, you know. Well, we need a friend. Old farm. Oh, we, we definitely need a friend. <laughs> so that, that's that's pretty cool. Three generations. It's It's interesting how we remember our first trip yeah and it, it, it may not even be the first trip i was yeah. trying to think the other day when was the first time i the first trip i went on i can't mm-hmm. really probably can't remember it i remember the first one i remember right right so that's cool that you remember that one and you remember there were three fish yeah dad and grandpa you that's three yeah. generations like you said that's really a, that's a neat yeah. neat way to start and yeah, we all i great. think i say we all and it's probably not all of us mm-hmm. but a lot of us start that same way right Right. Drowning a worm. Yeah. You know, one I've way or another. I've talked to a lot of people over the years that tell me that, you know, we started fishing worms and eventually like, man, what is what other ways can you do this, you know? Right. And where you, where I start seeing, and my grandfather told me one thing, uh, uh, something one time. He said, uh, I was telling him about how many fish we caught one day. And he said, mm-hmm. what'd you catch them on? I told him, he's, he said, what else did you catch them on? I said, nothing. I mean, they were biting on that. He said, that's time to try different things. Dude. Yeah. And I just never thought of it that way. Yeah. He's just... He he had some years of experience uh-huh. on me and probably some days of not catching a lot of fish. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome in to Southeastern Fly. This is David Perry, and today I uh, we are in the mobile studio. Came all the way to Crossville, Tennessee to uh, meet up with David Knapp, a longtime friend. It's good to have you here. I uh, appreciate you doing it. David is a, uh, a longtime friend, like I said, and he is the owner of the Trout Zone. Uh, in trout zone anglers and this started life if and correct me if i'm wrong david sure i think i'm i think i'm going to be pretty close to to the way it happened started with a blog mm-hmm. worked through that for several years yeah. and then went out west for a while mm-hmm. continued to blog out there which i thought yeah. was pretty impressive and i remember going out there uh to where we go almont yeah that was a good trip almont colorado yeah. yep and when you were out there and i had i had a guide for a weekend you drove me around, put me on good fishing. That's All I had to do trip. was like find a cabin and and book it, and then yep. the rest of it was pretty much. As soon as I stepped off the plane, we were headed west, further west. Yeah, um, over the mountains. <laughs> yeah, but uh, went out there. You came back home to Crossville. Yep. You fished a little bit, uh, just around, and then all of a sudden you decided to hang your shingle out. Yep. And uh, created Trout Zone Anglers. Started fishing uh, some of the waters that, that I like to fish, the Caney, mm-hmm. uh, some smallmouth streams up here on the plateau. Yep. And the park. You fish the park quite oh, a I bit. I love the Smokies. Yep. Yeah, the Smokies. one of my favorites. I say the park like everybody out there knows what I'm talking yeah. about. It is Smoky yeah. Mountain National Park and, and the Appalachians. So. Yeah. 
but uh, I, I lovingly refer to it as the park because that's really kind yeah, of where that's I That's what I call it too, really. Yeah. Most everybody I know, if I tell them I'm fishing the park, they know what I mean. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you're if you're in Colorado, we're talking about the the park to us is the Smoky, the yeah. Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Tell tell the folks out there where they can find you. You can find me online at troutzoneanglers.com. Uh, my longtime blog is actually still out there also, and it's thetroutzone.com. Unfortunately, I don't have as much time to get on that as I'd like to these days. I probably will this winter eventually. <laughs> yeah, I like to I like to go on there and read the, read your blog whenever you do finally get a chance to do it. Uh, mine's kind of the same way. It's kind of falling by the wayside. Yeah. Just it's time you get thing. busy and stuff happens. Yep. Yeah. So you get busy fishing. So you told us how you started fishing that your dad, your grandfather, and you went fishing one day, mm-hmm. and you started graduating uh, and getting bigger and bigger i guess into it right. how in the world did you start fly fishing well that's that's a good question when i was i don't know eight or nine years old uh, my family would always go over the smokies for camping trips you know once or twice a year maybe and i'd always beg for more but that, that <laughs> didn't necessarily happen my parents were busy um you know you see people out there in the middle of the stream waving these long rods around i was like that kind of looks cool you know as, as a kid i thought it looked cool and how old were one, you then? Eight or nine, maybe, okay. um, somewhere in there. And one one Christmas, I remember my grandma, I call her Mima. Mm-hmm. She gave me this book. It's, to this day, is still one of my favorite books. It's not, it's you know, it's a kid's book. It's not really a adult reading book, but it's still interesting to me at this age. Called Rascal uh, by a guy named Sterling North. And long story short, this kid finds his baby raccoon and takes it home and in this basically the story of his year with this raccoon before he re-releases it back into the wild as an adult because you know they get to a point they start getting a little grouchy in captivity (laughs) apparently but in the middle of this book he and his dad go up to northern wisconsin and spend these this two weeks on a trout stream and he makes his desire to fly fish so real and he doesn't in the book that's the that's the crazy thing but he makes it, um, I don't know if you want to call it romanticized um, or if you just, what, what you want to call it, but he, he makes it seem so appealing that the combination of that book and seeing people doing it in the Smokies is what sold me on having to do it. So, you know, by the time I'm, I don't know, 10 or 12, I'm saving up all my hard-earned allowance money or, you know, money from whatever I can get money from christmas or birthday and uh find myself making a trip down to walmart and buy you know a good solid 20 dollar rod and reel combo and the funny thing is if i had brought that rod with me today i don't know if you could even cast the thing (laughs) it was a horrible rod um you know got a a fly line from walmart for it and i don't know if at that point i didn't even know there was different weights so i have no idea if the line would have been right for the rod but I learned to cast the thing, and that's the important part. I'd go out in the lawn every day sometimes for 30 minutes or more. And, you know, remember, I'm like a 10- or 12-year-old kid, and the neighbors probably thought I was crazy, but I'd be out there casting this rod. And that was pre-YouTube days. You know, you couldn't just go online and get this perfect tutorial of how to do something, you know. Right, lefty you hadn't so, made a video yet. Yeah, right? yeah. And, you know, you could go to the library. I mean, I'd hit up the local library and check out the, like, one fly fishing video they had. <laughs> And, uh, you know, learned, learned that way, learned, learned to cast, learned some things I didn't even know I was doing. I had no clue I was hauling or double hauling. It's just, that was the only way you could cast the stupid rod was to double haul the thing, you know, (laughs) to get some line moving. And I didn't realize I was doing it. I just knew when I tugged on the line, it cast better. So 
that's kind of how I got into it, but I, I still didn't really know how to catch fish real well. I, I was dangerous mostly to myself and the people around me. And, the, and on the lawn, yeah. dangerous to the, to the yeah, bugs on the, the grass, lawn. I, mean, I, I could wear out some grass, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's amazing that a book would grab a nine-year-old kid that hard and, and, and seeing somebody else do it, yeah. of course. Yeah. But something like that gets amazing, the, the things that I get to hear people say, oh, well, I, here's how I did it. Yeah. A lot of times it's very similar. Some, some one thing triggers it. Yeah. Uh, I've, I watched a friend of my dad's. I watched... I watched somebody do this on TV. Mm-hmm. I read a book. I did this. I did that. Yeah. Just that one little thing, and all of a sudden, boom! I'm going to put some. I'm going to put some focus on it. And mm-hmm. I think focus is one of the things that really makes somebody get good at something, anything, yeah. whether it be fly fishing or racing a car or riding or cooking. For sure. Yeah, it's yeah. just you know what, what what can you focus on? Yeah, you don't have to be great at any of it. You know, as far as natural talent goes, right. but if you put the focus and the energy behind it, you're going to get pretty good oh, yeah. at it. For sure, as a rule, you yeah. know, if you're five foot two and want to play in the NBA, you can Maybe focus all you want to. <laughs> yeah, but hey, you know, if you, if you want to do that, here, you, you know, you're five foot two, yeah. and been many five foot two folks in the Not NBA. Too many of those yeah. guys, <laughs> and if they are, they probably have a whole lot more skill than yeah. your normal five foot two person. Right. So. So the focus, I think, is a big, big thing. And I, I see people, huge... and you probably see them too, people that, you know, that they've put a little bit of work in before mm-hmm. they do a trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not talking about the, the guy that fishes you right. know, twice a week. I'm right. talking about the guy that gets a chance to fish once a month, twice a month, right. once every two months. But you can also tell which ones put that effort in right, right. before they, even if it's a couple of days before, you know, they're out there doing like you were doing. Yeah, going casting out and casting, yep. Roll casting, you know. And it's always funny because some point during the day, usually it'll come up and they'll tell you, oh, yeah, I went and practiced like you told me to a couple of days ago. And he's like, I knew it. I could tell from watching him that he had done that. You yeah, know? yeah. And versus the guy that you get to, you know, got the same fly on it that you left him with or the same yeah. that you left <laughs> from him with the two last years year. ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which everybody doesn't have the time to do right. that. and. And everybody's at a different place in yeah, life. Yeah, you got to go when you can go. Yeah, exactly. But this this whole, uh, you know, the focus thing, I think, is big. Yeah. So folks that are listening to this, there's a lot of folks. That's, people are starting to contact me and just shoot the bull, you know, mm-hmm. ask a question here and there. And there's a lot of folks that are seeking out something to get better. Yeah. And they'll they'll stumble across the podcast. People are starting to share it now, right. which I really appreciate. I mean, that's, a, that's an honor that somebody would say, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you ought, you ought to listen to this. Hopefully they're not. Well, doing they're it. fun to listen to. I've enjoyed the ones that I've listened to so far. There's some good information in them, and they're just they're fun to listen to. They're entertaining, you know. Well, I appreciate that. I try to be try to keep people entertained. We'll see how how time goes. We're getting start to get some ratings and stuff like yeah. that from the put the little plug in here for the five star rating. We really would appreciate your five star yep. rating, you know, <laughs> or whatever podcatcher you listen to. Right. So yeah, but 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 back to so you start fly fishing, you get into. Uh, get get to go where where did you go first where was your first real fly fishing expedition you know um it's kind of funny because i want to say it was probably the smokies but it might actually not be i remember my dad would take me there was a place here in crossville near crossville uh called daddy's creek and there was a place out there that kind of the rumor said there was trout and i never saw the first trout out there but at that age i believed you right know, and that that matters a lot at that age that you believe and I believe there was trout there and my dad would take me and the reason I remember it so well is because there was a low head dam and I'd always stand out on these rock ledges right below this dam and cast down into these kind of rapids that were down there and I just knew there had to be trout down in there and uh, on one of my first trips down there 
I'll never forget, I was casting with my back towards that dam facing downstream, which, you know, I don't fish downstream as much these days. Did Back then, didn't know that it may or may not be the best way to do things, but all of a sudden I caught something behind me. You know, it's not the right direction to be catching things. I didn't figure I'd caught a fish, and I kind of figured I'd snagged that dam. And so I start jerking like we all do when we hit a tree or something. You know, I'm sure if you've ever fished the Smokies, you've been there. You know, the the first response is always to jerk harder, and right. and that's usually not the best response. And that's something that I'm always trying to teach people is, you know, if you hook a tree, don't jerk. Right. Above all things, don't jerk. You know, good way to break a rod or something. But I start jerking. I got a good five or six jerks in, and I finally had to turn around to see what what I was hung on because it wasn't coming free, and I didn't really want to lose the fly. You know, as a kid, can't just magically go buy a whole bunch more flies. I didn't have that kind of money. And I turn around, and my poor sister's standing behind me with every jerk sitting there flinching. And I felt horrible. I mean, <laughs> she's younger than me. She's my, my little sister. And I told her, I said, Amy, say something. You know, I'll, I'll quit jerking. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm, I've hooked you. And I had, I'd hooked her right in the back of the right shoulder. I'll never forget that. Thankfully, barbs on trout flies aren't too big. And we got it out without too much more pain and suffering. But I'll never forget that. And so I never forget that spot. So there's a good chance that was my first spot. You know, I don't know. It may have been the Smokies. It was definitely one of my first spots to fish in the Smokies. I think that goes back to uh, it's not necessarily the first place you fish, but it's the first place you remember yep, fishing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I remember the first time I got hooked and the second and the third. Yeah. <laughs> and Those I, tend I, to stand out, don't they? Yeah. I don't just, I never sit there and not say anything. There's always something. Hopefully yeah. it's Hopefully it's appropriate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that comes out of my mouth. I guess it just depends on who's who's hitting me with what. But yeah. yeah. And I know I've hit you in the back of the head before. <laughs> I remember where that was. But if you hit me, I'm probably gonna say something. So Yeah. <laughs> and I hope everyone will. Yeah. Oh, man. Casting for Recovery provides healing outdoor retreats for women with breast cancer. Any woman who has has had a breast cancer diagnosis at any stage or recovery. Uh, is eligible. There's no cost to participants in, in casting for recovery. That's something that's so amazing to me. It is. It is. Incredible. And in, in the, uh, I guess I'll have to say that we work with Middle Tennessee, uh, the yeah. the Middle Tennessee group, who's the who's Susan Thrasher, who we've mm-hmm. interviewed before, and is a good friend of both of ours. Uh, in the Music City Fly Girls, it's probably one of the most amazing groups of of anglers of male or female that mm-hmm. I've ever encountered in their organization for their retreat in middle Tennessee is I it's don't incredible. think there's anything that's any better. There's probably a whole lot that are as good, but yeah. as far as the way it's run, I don't think there's it's anything notch better. For sure. Over 8,000 women have been served. Casting for recovery is an organization fueled by volunteers. So how can you help? If you're out there listening, you're thinking, I'll look into this. You go to the website and CFR. you can, you can, do the normal things that we all like to do or a lot of us like to do is the donations and that sort of thing and that helps but but it also to put on one of these retreats it requires volunteers so some of the volunteers that they'll use some of the types of volunteers that they need is a medical facilitator a program coordinator retreat leaders fly fishing instructors river helpers i.e guides and then hospitality because a lot of there's food there's places they have to put people up uh to check out the retreats in the southeast and around the country go to castingforrecovery.org i guarantee you it will change your life one of the things so i've I've been very fortunate uh and i wouldn't say this if it was not true i've been very fortunate to to be a guide or a river helper and the very first one that i did the lady 
didn't have a lot of help at home. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. Uh, and Susan put me with her, and she said, I'm going to put you with this lady because she's she's really nice, super sweet, doesn't get a lot of help at home, and she really wants to catch fish. Mm-hmm. And this particular Casting for Recovery event, it had rained about two days. I mean, as hard as it could possibly oh, rain. Oh, no. And the river was blown out, so yeah. we were going to go to the to the lake. Right. And I put on a popper, a yellow popping bug, mm-hmm. on that, and she stood in one place, and we cast that rod, or she cast that rod. I didn't cast it for, for probably over an hour, mm. and we just kept getting a little further out, a little further out, mm-hmm. a little further out. And she she was actually pretty good for her lack of experience yeah. whenever I got yeah. there. Susan and them did a really good. They did a really good job with her. Right. So I'm not taking any credit at all. I just kept trying to encourage yeah. her. Nobody was catching fish because the water was so high. Yeah. But she kept at it and kept at it. And after about it, it was probably an hour and a half, really. And, and this has been a while back. But she got a fish on. Oh, man. And people all around the nobody had caught a fish. Yeah. People Everybody all around the lake went crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I went crazy. And, oh, you yeah. Know, got the net and ran down there to get oh, it yeah. and did all that stuff. But I told her, she was like, oh, this just this just changes everything. And I said, this a whole lot bigger for me than it is for you. Yeah. And I know that it's, you think it's big for you, but this is really incredible. Uh, and I know you've, and you've done some, so I've now I've graduated, uh, to getting the guys together for these events. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a waiting list. We put out, our, we've sent out an email to everybody that we, that says the year before or during that year prior that they want to help, but there's always a waiting list of people wanting to help. And it, and it, it inevitably somebody says, they sign up, they get selected to be a guide, but something comes up. Right. Life happens. Oh, yeah. Had one guy jump out of a boat the day before and break his ankle. Oh, that's rough. I know that you've helped before. Oh, yeah, and it's great. I'd, I've had so much fun doing it. I uh, I had a, a mom and my mom and my grandma both dealt with breast cancer, so it's kind of one of those things that hits a little bit close to home for me. And so just the chance to be able to give back a little bit and help some people out along that recovery journey and just it means a lot to me and i i uh, i know you you were talking about how much they enjoy it but i'll just tell you right now that i know i'm getting more out of it than they are when i do that it's just it's a tremendous blessing to be able to help with it again susan and Miranda, the music city fly girls do an outstanding oh, it's job incredible i'm always so impressed with how that thing runs it's like clockwork and they just man the amount of attention they shower on those ladies and the care they take such good care of them it's incredible Anyway, if you get a chance, go to uh, castingforrecovery.org. And if you can volunteer or donate or however you can help, believe me, it's well, well worth your time. So, David, you, uh, while you start fishing, you get a book, and that kind of sends you down the path a little further. Mm-hmm. Once you once you get, a, you know, we get all the knowledge we can out of something, it seems like. Yeah. And a, and a book is a prime example of, I mean, you can get a wealth of knowledge from it if, if your reading is is very good and mm-hmm. you're, you can soak up that knowledge. But somewhere along the line, you put that book down and think, I probably know enough or I've got all I could get out of that. Yeah. Where do you go next? Man, you know, for me, the interesting thing was, you know, my dad got me into the sport, but he, like I said, wasn't a fisherman. And so he wasn't going to take me to that next step. It was one of those things I had to figure it out for myself somehow. And that wasn't going real well. I, I wish I could sit here and tell you that I, you know, I became a 
semi-competent angler that I am today by just figuring it out, but I can't do that. I remember it was in my late teens and again, kind of saved up some hard-earned money. You know how it is when you're a teenager, you don't have a bunch of cash sitting around normally and saved up my hard-earned money and called Little River Outfitters and booked a day with Walter Babb. If you don't know who Walter is, he's kind of a local legend. He's been fishing here in the Southern Appalachians for a long, long time. He probably knows more about the history of the sport, especially the history of fly tying, than anybody I know and probably knows more about both of those things than I'll ever learn. He's probably forgot more than I'll ever learn in my life. And at the time... I just knew, you know, I was going fishing with Walter and I was going to learn to high stick. That's specifically what I wanted to learn from him was at that point I could, you know, I could catch a couple fish here and there in the Smokies on a dry fly, you know, a really, really good day, maybe six or eight fish. I mean, really good day. And those didn't come around very often, you know, but I hadn't really figured out how to fish nymphs. And kind of the word was, if you want to catch fish, you got to be able to fish subsurface. Furthermore, everyone said, you know, oh, you got to do it without a strike indicator. You need to high stick and you got to, you know, nowadays it's tight, tight lining, Euro nymphing, all these different buzzwords. Well, you know, I've been doing it in the Southern Appalachians for a hundred years. They were using a cane pole. They weren't necessarily using a fly rod back in the day, dredging real heavy wet flies through these runs, catching big fish, you know, but. So let's just stop right there. Sure, just a second. Sure. Southern Appalachia were doing it with a cane pole, mm-hmm. whatever type of leader that they were using at right. that time. And a nymph for a dry. Yeah. So let's just, that's simple. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do that, by the way. Yeah. And I haven't done it yet, but I, hopefully I will. Yeah. People can complicate the crap out of something. Yeah, they can. Yeah. So what, what we're talking about now is, oh, tight line nymphing, and you can't do it with a strike indicator, and you've got to have this, and you've got mm-hmm. to have that. Well, somebody like Walter could take that same setup that we just talked about, that very simple setup. Yeah. Probably outfish. About anybody. Just about anybody yeah. up there. I mean, oh, there yeah. are some really good dudes up there that really know what they're doing yeah. and you included you know what you're doing and, and don't try to play the i don't know well gee jaw all shucks thing with me because i know you do because i fished with you up there before those type of people can take that minimal yeah that minimal equipment and catch probably just as many fish as anybody else oh yeah and in many many cases more yeah so i'm sorry i didn't mean to get no, off but, no, then but that, i think that, that needs to be said that's a great point and that's you know that's the thing when I went fishing with Walter, one thing I remember that day, it was a morning trip. It was in, I want to say early August. It was at the end of the summer. I'd worked all summer to earn some money for school, you know, and took just a little bit of that money to do this guided trip. And before the trip, Walter had been saying, oh, you know, the fishing's not very good. And if you've ever fished the Smokies in August, you know, it can be a tough time. I know when I'm guiding, I'm always a little little bit nervous, like, where am I going to take these people in August to catch fish, you know? Walter, you know, we show up and oh, the fishing may not be very good. He's still telling me this. I mean, it's the, the morning of the trip and we're, we've met <laughs> up and I'm like, I, that's fine. I, I don't care if I catch the first fish. I want to learn this technique. I'm not as worried about catching fish as I am learning the technique. So, you know, Walter takes me out fishing and I'll never forget all he had was, I think, a fishing shirt with those big pockets on it in him, you know, and he had like a fly box, right. maybe a spool of tippet and some nippers. I mean, that was it. And to this day, I still kind of wish I could simplify things that much. And Walter knows those mountains so well. He literally needed all of like five flies, you know, and they were like four out of the five or the same fly for the, for the trip, you know? Yeah, right. And, uh, and we, we found some fish. I remember when we got to the stream, the first thing that we did is uh, he took me up middle prong to a spot that I'm sure a, tons of people have fished. First thing he says is he's like, now I don't normally fish on a guided trip. 
and I kind of saw where he was going with it, but I let him finish his piece. He's like, but, but the best way I know how to teach this to you is to show you. And I'm like, that is no problem. Like you can fish the whole time if you want to. All I really want is to learn this technique. And if that's what it takes to learn the technique, that's fine with me. So he gets out his rod and had it all strung up, got in there and kind of showed me how you held the rod and the angle of the leader and, you know, how to lead the flies through the water without dragging them through the water, which is, you know, it is like, wait, what, <laughs> you know, yeah. what does that mean? What am I doing here? Um, but he, he showed me how to do that. And so I threw in a couple of holes and he said, let's, let's go somewhere else. Let's, you know, let's get a little higher up the drainage. So we went up Thunderhead prong. I love that. And, uh, <laughs> I'll never forget it. That trip, I caught two fish, had some chances on some other fish. I wasn't perfect nymph fisherman at that point. I was a baby nymph fisherman, you know, just learning. And uh, we got through that section, and uh, that day stands out in my mind because we go cutting up the hillside to the trail to walk back out at the end of this half-day trip. And I remember we walked over a yellow jacket nest, and, of course, I got stung, um, which if there's bees anywhere close by, I'm going to get stung. It's kind of my curse in life. I'm with you. I uh, don't. Don't like them, kind of uh, determined enemy of of uh, yellow jackets, but that's another story for another day. So we get back to the shop. I I try to you know tell Walter how much I appreciate it, and I still don't know if he really realizes how much I appreciate it that day. And I give him a tip, which was literally all the money I had. I it was you know a decent tip. It was you know not a bad tip, but. And I told him, you know, I wished it was more because it to me, if I had had it, I would have given him a thousand dollars. Would have given him ten thousand. I mean, it was it was such a valuable day to me. That day propelled me from that moment of you know catching one or two fish a day, three or four fish a day to that afternoon. I went out on my own, you know, after I'd fished with Walter, I grabbed something to eat and then went back out. And I'll never forget, I caught twenty fish that afternoon in like three hours. More than you've ever caught before. Oh man. By far and away. I mean, it's not even close, more than I'd ever caught before. On a flyer out, I mean, of course, there's the worms and the bobber back in the day, and that's a whole different story. But bluegill weed, anything, as we all know. Right. That's why we but, love them. Uh, so, it was so eye-opening to me to see what could be done with a flyer rod. What do you think? What So for the, for the listener out there that yeah. maybe is in that same spot you are, because I know there are some out there that are sure. exactly where you were before you right, took that trip. Right. What was the one thing that you remember that Walter taught you technically that kind of flip that switch for you and i know there's more than one but the one thing that stands out for you maybe that that you said if i do this just right i'm going to catch more fish than if i don't it really was the idea of specifically with tight lining the idea that you really don't want that line tight and i know that sounds really really strange it goes back to that idea that you're leading the flies but you're not dragging the flies leading the flies means that that rod tip's always staying a little downstream of those flies and you have that little bit of a bow in the leader you don't want it straight you want a little bit of a bow and and walter taught me that all you're watching is you're watching for that bow to straighten out you're watching for it to tick and when i realized that every single one of those ticks was a fish which i realized that afternoon i didn't necessarily realize it when i was fishing with walter because like i said i missed a few fish and i was you know i was in the presence of walter i was shaking a little bit in my boots if you will you know i mean walter's kind of this legend like i said but no he's not kind um, of he is yeah he He really is he's incredible when i realized that those were all fish it was just mind-boggling so for me i think the broader principle there is is it doesn't matter if you're using a strike indicator. It doesn't matter if you're tight lining. It doesn't matter if you're fishing a dry dropper. Some form of subsurface nymphing, though, is Walter didn't put it to me in these words. I've kind of read this since then, but find an excuse every single drift to set the hook. 
<laughs> and I know that sounds crazy, but if you watch me, especially in the Smokies, but even on the tailwaters to an extent, you'll see me get to the end of a drift and I'll, I'll give it a set mm-hmm. before I cast. And, you know, sometimes you'll have this little kind of nagging idea in your brain, like, oh, you should set the hook right now. And you do, and you catch a fish, and afterwards, you know, everyone might have been watching was like, man, it's like, you know, some sort of black magic or something. Like, what just happened right there? And you think about it, and you're like, I'm not really sure exactly what did happen. But you get to that point really fast where if you're setting on everything, you figure out real quick there's a lot of stuff going on down there. We don't know half the time. I remember one time I was fishing the Caney with a dry dropper with a midge. And I remember doing this kind of experiment on purpose where I drifted this dry dropper through a run without setting the hook on purpose. And I watched five or six fish eat that (laughs) and never moved that dry fly. And that was so eye-opening to me. So if there's any doubt in your mind that you should set the hook, do it. Don't ask questions. Hook sets are free. Take advantage of them. There's always another fish out there if you blow a fish out with a bad hook set. So That's uh, that's, uh, just just the other day I was – working with a guy on, on Euro nymphing. Yeah. And I would say that was a fish. Mm-hmm. That was a fish. That was a fish. And finally I started to say that one. And he said the hook and he said, I'll be dang, that was a fish. Yep. Wasn't it? I said, yeah, <laughs> bring him over here. Let's get it off. Yep. And I knew right then, all right, he's now he's experienced it. Right. Maybe experienced it a time or two later, right. you know, after that. And once you've experienced two or three times and you know, okay, this it is clicks. what I'm looking for. Yeah. You know, that repetition, I think really yeah, helps. It makes a huge difference. And even just off of two fish and, and, and Walter's a, he's a, an experienced fly angler slash teacher. Right. So he probably said a lot of little things there that you may not even remember now. But, right. But right. kind of kept pushing you toward keep digging at mm-hmm. it. Here's, here's what just happened. Yeah. Here's what to look for next time. Mm-hmm. Those little things like that, yeah, leading that fly without pulling it, right? You know, don't don't drag it through the water. That's a tough one. I mean, it's yeah. a, it's tough to get. You know, you're looking for that exact angle. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. You said if the line straightens out, you know, you'll probably see that line straighten out before you ever feel it in the in oh the, yeah down in the handle of the rod. I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me, but I didn't feel anything, right? And most of the time, you won't. You know, there's times that I'll be tight lining or whatever you want to call it euro nymphing and you'll feel it i mean about pull the rod out of yeah. your hand I've, I've had that happen a few times i've had that happen to a ton of people over the years but those are the easy ones those are the ones that usually by the time you feel it that hard it's too late you yeah. know and it's got to be visual it, even though it feels like you should be feeling something if you're not setting on the visual element you're not going to catch fish nearly as well as you could otherwise yeah, you can you can tell when somebody finally figures it out. Oh yeah, and I say finally like yeah. it takes forever. <laughs> yeah, it takes a minute, you know, to know what you're. It does, for. it does, and like you said, you know, just getting a couple on builds that confidence so much. Once people realize that those are fish down there, all of a sudden the confidence to set the hook grows, and you, you hook a few more, and that com- it's a snowball. It just feeds itself, you know. On the tailwaters, we both yeah. do a lot of indicator fishing. Yeah. And just that little bump, that little stop, yeah. that little, what was that? Yeah. If you ever have to ask what was that, yeah. it's probably a fish. Yeah. I mean, there's a real good chance it oh, was. Yeah. If you if you got the depth right, right and all that, right. you know. I'm right. not talking about the extreme examples. I'm talking about the 80% in right. the middle. right. So it's interesting. It's, it's cool that you got to, to learn from from Walter like that, and you still yeah. remember. Any, I can. So I, I'm. We're sitting across from each other, and I, mm-hmm. I think you can hear it in David's voice, but I can see it. I mean, he really has a true appreciation for Walter. Which I several years ago, uh, it's been a while. I went to the Little River to mm-hmm. tie some flies, and Walter was there. He wasn't tying that day. It was, just, mm-hmm. it was me, somebody else. I don't. Know. 
Uh, but he was there, and yeah. on the break, I mean, you take a break in the middle. On right. the break, he came over, and I was tying musky flies. Mm-hmm. And he, he just, his comment was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, your fly would eat my fly. Yeah. Uh, which spurred a conversation. Right. He's just, he was easy to talk to yeah. and and nice. And, of course, I'm. Oh, yeah, he's I'm, an incredible guy. I'm eating it up like, holy Toledo, he's yeah. talking to me? It's Walter Babb yeah. talking to me. right, yep. right. So. Yep. Maybe one day we can get him on this thing and, and let him tell be, his story. I would love to hear one. his story. It'd be incredible. I would like to hear it because it would you could kind of follow the line from him all the way to you. It seems like people push us along mm-hmm. the path of trying to get better, trying yeah. to improve, trying to do whatever we're going to do in the sport. Right? Are there other like other folks maybe that maybe have helped you? Yeah, you know that that's kind of I would say. For me, you know, with Walter, he taught me some incredible things, and I became a really good angler under certain conditions. If I could high stick, I could catch all kinds of fish. But I was kind of a one-trick pony, if you will. You know, if I couldn't high stick and I couldn't fish dry flies, and I, was, I wasn't a terrible dry fly angler at that point. I wasn't great, but I wasn't terrible. If I couldn't do one of those two things, I probably wasn't going to catch fish. You know, streamers were still kind of – off the radar for me, um, you know, bobber nymphing, I like to kind of jokingly call it, but yep. indicator nymphing, <laughs> suspension nymphing, if you will, um, hadn't mastered that yet. And, you know, if it hadn't been for kind of the kindness and generosity of others along the way, I would definitely not be the angler that I am today by a long shot. I wouldn't have nearly the amount of knowledge or, um, you know, ability to find fish under at least some circumstances. Um, I'll never forget the day you and you and me were out fishing. Um, you, you're one of the people, the main people that kind of taught me how to row a drift boat, and I'll <laughs> I'll be forever grateful for that. Well, and that's scary. <laughs> you uh, you probably remember as well as I do the day we were out there on. I don't remember if it was two generators or what. It was it was definitely more than one generator. A lot of water. Throwing some streamers and uh, never forget. You know, full speed ahead, rowing your boat into the bank when we were trying to take a break. <laughs> And you were so nice about it, so laid back. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I've just killed this man's drift boat. I'm going to owe him. You know, I didn't have a clue if it was 10 grand or 20 grand or 50 grand. I just knew I'd killed the boat by some miracle. I I don't know that it actually had kind of hit a muddy spot on the bank and didn't kill the boat. But if it hadn't been for stuff like that, people showing me how to do things, um, you know, and even random strangers that at the time it seemed really insignificant. I'll never forget. I was out in Arizona and I stopped by, I want to say it was Lee's Ferry Anglers, but it could have been one of the other fly shops there. Um, but I think it was Lee's Ferry Anglers and, uh, was going to fish the famous Colorado river there at Lee's Ferry. And they sold me some zebra midges. And at the time I didn't have the first clue what a midge was and didn't have the first clue how to fish a midge. So, you know, I kind of went out there and tried it, I think as a dry dropper or something is that, you know, again, I'm still a one trick pony at this stage in my career and came back home and didn't think anything more of it. You know, you kind of read magazines or the internet was starting to be a thing then. And you kind of read like, oh, you know, you need to fish midges on the Caney Fork. And like one day I'm like, you know, I'm going to fish a midge today. And at that point I'd go down there and fish like a prince nymph or something. I'd catch a fish every once in a while, but (laughs) I was Smoky Mountain fishing. I, I still, you know, didn't even know exactly how to indicator fish, but I was catching a fish every once in a while that way on the Caney. And one day I was like, I'm going to try, I'm going to try a zebra midge thing. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to put it under a dry fly and see what happens, you know? And I had some in my fly box from this trip out to Arizona, tie it on, and all of a sudden I'm catching fish left and right, which you <laughs> you well know how effective of a fly it is on the Caney. And you're kind of laughing because 
to somebody who's been fishing it a while and kind of knows what they're doing. It's like the fly for the caney, you know, if you want to catch some trout, you got to fish a midge, you know, everyone's like, oh, you got to fish a zebra midge. And it's true. <laughs> Catches a lot of fish. And I, I found it out that day, not because somebody around here had told me to go fish a zebra midge, but because somebody out in Arizona had said, hey, you know, you need some of these to fish, you know, these fish are eating midges. You're probably the first person I know that drove all the way out to Arizona to, to get, get my zebra midges. <laughs> which you can use just up the street. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of other people, I'm, you know, I don't even want to try to name everybody just because I know I'll leave people out. I know I've been going over and seeing those guys at Little River Outfitters for long time they when I was a kid 12 years old walked in the door and my parents took me over there and my parents said oh there's a place that looks like they might be able to help you because my parents couldn't help me they didn't know what I was doing any better than I knew what I was doing probably worse at that point (laughs) you know walked in and Byron and Paula and Daniel Drake and all, all those all those people Every time I'd walk in, if it wasn't one of them, it'd be one of the guys working in the shop would, oh, oh yeah, you need some of these flies and you need to go here. I remember one guy telling me an exact spot to go on middle prong, like, this is my favorite spot. You got to go to this pull out and do this. And like, okay, cool. You know, that's to, my, to this day still one of my favorite places to fish on middle prong. Was that when they were in the old building? Yeah. yeah. You remember that? Oh, by yeah, the, I remember that. By what's now the subway yeah, there. yeah. I it's really liked that building. That yeah. building was cool. Remember the dogs? I do. Madison and Gibbon that they had. Those were awesome dogs. In the fireplace. Yeah. 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 I went to a fly tying thing that uh, I think Ian may have been teaching. It was on a it was very much night like tonight. Yeah. It was, uh, but there were about six inches of snow up there. Oh, goodness. So half the people that were supposed to show up showed Didn't. up. But it was Ian and somebody else. I can't remember who it was. And we just sat around the fireplace and somebody tied and told lies. Yeah. You know, we told some lies. And that's where I really was like, this is a really cool environment not mm-hmm. necessarily just little river but right even up until that time the people that i met were just like you're talking about here you need to try this you need yeah. to go this pull off uh you need to fish this fly and this run on the clinch mm-hmm. pretty much everybody i talked to was very friendly and very yeah. forthcoming of information they all probably had their secrets and i wasn't smart enough to know <laughs> right know, I, I knew there was a question i just didn't know what it was right. but at least i knew there was a question yeah at that point but those types of people really do help you yeah you know another really good friend of mine Joe McGroom, he he's about my age, and we met somehow through Little River Outfitters. I think he might have worked there one summer. I can't remember if he worked through a school year or what, but we, we met each other that way and started fishing together. And uh, he got me thinking differently about brown trout. And kind of going back to the beginning, that book that I talked about, I, I never will forget that book and its emphasis on big brown trout. And I think that book not only spurred my love for fly fishing, but also my love for big brown trout, which turns out is the goal from a lot of us yes. fly anglers. We all like those big brown trout, but Joe's approach to big browns was a little different. We always have this ongoing joke, you know, for Joe, anything lighter than like one X is like, you know, spider web. And I'm always over here like, Oh, Joe, we got to fish some six X fluorocarbon, you know? And he's like, what's that? You know? And it's funny because he's a, he's a really good angler. And if he needs to, he can go fish a midge on six X, but he's not really about that. He's about hunting those big fish and to catch big fish. A lot of the time you got to throw some big stuff. I know you and I have spent plenty of days out on the river, especially back in the learning stage where you were kind of teaching me some stuff, throwing streamers. And I remember seeing you catch a really big brown trout a time or two, and they didn't eat little tiny stuff, although we both know some of them do eat tiny stuff also, which is why we keep throwing it. But Joe got me thinking differently about how to fish for those big fish initially and that you needed to fish some bigger things for them. And um, we got to fish some cool places together. We've been to Yellowstone. He's visited when I was in Colorado and we fished out there and he was there the week I was 
before I was there. Yeah, right before you came. Them. Oh, we absolutely killed it. Where we, were you? Uh, what, what tailwater was that? We were actually on a... Outside of South Park somewhere, Technically right? a freestone section of that river. It's the middle fork of the South Platte. Yeah. There is a, <laughs> a lake somewhere way up that drainage, but it's not really a... Not part of it. ...tailwater, so to speak, really. Um, I remember. But I remember seeing There's some your big posts. browns in there. I mean, some really big yeah. fish. And we just... We didn't really know how well we had hit it that day. And when I took you back like a week later, I figured out real quick how well we had hit it. No, (laughs) I mean, it was dead. I mean, there was nothing in there. So they were probably still there, but... If you're listening out there, I'm getting ready to go my first trip to Colorado. David and Joe were out there the week before, and I mean, David is lighting up his blog with these big old browns that they're catching. I mean, we quit taking pictures of 18 inches within the first hour. I mean, that's just... I mean, to this day, it's still like my best day of fishing. I just... I, I don't even know how to compare so, it to anything. And we, so when I get there, I'm like, well, I want to go to that place. Yeah. David said, well, you know, that's a long way from the cabin you rented. And I said, okay, well, we'll fish. And I remember you saying, we'll hit it on the way back. Yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. So we fished like the Taylor and the Gunnison, yeah. the East, all those right there mm-hmm. in Almont and on down. We went on down to the, to the next lake down from Almont, whichever one that is. I yeah. can't remember. Fished down that section. And then the day we were leaving, I could not wait to get there. Yeah. To whatever. What was the name of the river? The Middle Fork of the South Platte. Yeah, the South Platte was a yeah, yeah, it was South, South Platte. Platte. Yeah, it's yeah. got some really good tailwater section. In fact, those tailwaters are probably better fisheries than where than Joe and I just yeah. happened to hit it, right? So we go down, and I remember having such a – my back was in such bad shape. Oh, I forgot how bad your back yeah. was on that trip. That was from, that was bad situation. getting the, the yard ready because I knew yeah. I was going to be gone for several days, so I weed-eated it and – Edged, oh, yeah. and that's what that's what did it. I swear yeah. that's what did it. I hadn't mowed the yard since. My head. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, we get out there, and I mean, I I don't even remember if I caught a fish or not. And you you may have caught one or two, but it was much lower. Yeah, it was and, definitely lower. Yeah, the conditions that made had a changed. Big difference. But I thought, man, Joe must be a heck of an angler, and he is, and he know, is. Yeah, that's the thing is, he is, and and of course he's he's been fortunate enough to learn from some other great yeah. anglers, you know. I think that's one thing I love so much about this sport is everyone you come in contact with, and it doesn't matter whether they're better than you or if you're better than them, but you learn something from them. And sometimes it can be as simple as what not to do, you know, but often even the people that maybe aren't as far along in their fly fishing journey, you actually learn valuable stuff from them without them realizing it. Sometimes without yourself realizing it until you think about it the next day, you're like, oh, you know, I learned something. Or why am I doing that? Oh, yeah. 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 That's why I'm doing it, because I saw this dude do it the other day. I always love when I'm fishing with somebody, you know, in the park. I don't swing flies as often as I should. When I was early in my journey, I'd swing some wet flies and oh, catch yeah. some fish. Yeah. You know, you know as well as I do that that can be an ir- a deadly method. Now, I've kind of gotten away from that in recent years, and I always enjoy when I have someone ask me, like, well, should I swing at the end? And it's funny, because usually when I'm teaching somebody, we don't do that. But when someone asks me that, I'm like, well, that's fine. You know, sometimes that's actually what the fish want. And there's days where we won't be catching the first fish on a dead drift. And the second they ask that question and start swinging, we are just slaying fish. <laughs> and you learn something, even if it's something you used to know and kind of got away from, you still learn something. And I've got I've got this one buddy, another fishing buddy, Trevor, he and I did some trips. It was kind of fun in college. We both would, you know, work hard all summer to earn some money to pay for college or, you know, maybe pay towards college because I'm not sure you ever earn enough in a <laughs> summer to pay for college. But let's face it, it's expensive. But to pay towards college and, you know, you get to the end of the summer and you have a certain amount of money and you're like, you know, I'm going to put this much towards school and, man, I, I deserve something nice. I'm going to go fish, you know. So we do these trips out to Colorado or Yellowstone or different places and do it cheap. I mean, two guys splitting splitting gas and eating 
peanut butter and jelly, you can do a trip pretty cheap if you're camping, you know. I'll never forget Trevor, one of the first times I fished with him, I watched him fishing a dry fly, and he can cast this dry fly in the Smokies 30 or 40 feet up the stream, which in the Smokies is a long ways. That's a long way. You know, a real long ways. Yeah. Across, you know, 30 different currents, and somehow mend it correctly to where it'll drift 30 feet without dragging. And to this day, he's still the best of anybody I've ever seen mending a dry fly in the Smokies. I mean, I'm not sure if Walter could even do some of the stuff he's done. I mean, you know, it's just, there's something about watching someone that can do that because I I try, but I still can't get some of the trips that he's getting. You learn those things from everybody you fish with. And sometimes it's something real small and sometimes it's something really big, you know, like, hey, maybe you should throw a streamer like, oh, I never thought of that. Maybe I'll catch a bigger fish now, you know. (laughs) And sometimes it's as small as like, you know, your rod tip instead of be, you know, waist high, your rod tip should be in the water when you're stripping a streamer or whatever it is, you know, you just, (laughs) you learn these little small details and you learn big details and they all add up to making you a better angler and, you know, kind of leading to you being the angle you are today, I guess. Every time you go out, you build on it a little more. Every time you pick up a book, you build on it a little more. Every time you talk to somebody, listen to a podcast, yeah. read an article on the internet, build on that. Yeah. You build if you could remember it. You I remember when I it. was when I was just getting started, part of the building process for me, I remember subscribing to Fly Fisherman Magazine, and that gave me a real bad case of the yearning to travel, you know. Oh, yeah. It, you know, yeah. all these beautiful destinations, but they always had these how-to articles in there, and I'll never forget seeing Kelly Gallup's Zoo Cougar in yeah. there, like right when it was starting to become a, a thing popular, you know, and a thing about the jerk strip, how to fish the Zoo Cougar. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, you know, I used to do that with my Zebco and a bass, plastic, soft plastic worm yeah. and catch small or largemouth bass. You know, I wonder if I did that with a streamer, what might happen, you know, and all of a sudden here it is in Fly Fisherman Magazine. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I better try that, you know, and each of those things adds up. It might be a big thing, might be, you know, little thing like subscribing to a magazine. It might be even as small as, you know, going online and watching YouTube video on how to do something or reading an article about how to do something. But all those things do contribute to bringing you along that journey. And it is a journey. I think that's the thing I love so much about this sport is for me, it's it's a journey. And it's not just about the fishing. It's it's about the people that you meet. I've, I've been so blessed to meet so many really cool anglers that have fortunately become good friends over the years, you know, like yourself. I know we've spent a lot of time on the water together and hopefully we'll spend some more time on the water oh, together absolutely. again. And those things to me, are as important as the actual fly fishing piece of it, which ultimately, yeah, we're going out there to catch some fish, but there's there's so much more to it than that. Some of the destinations are about the place you're at, because I can go catch trout here in Tennessee, but I can't do it at the foot of the the Tetons, you know? Yeah. So there's just... There's just so much to it. It takes you so many places. It's interesting that you tell somebody, I'm going fishing. You come back, their next question is, how'd you do? Yeah. <laughs> How many did you catch? Yeah. How big were they? But you don't really get to tell them that, oh, I fished with one of my best friends. Yeah. You know, we spent eight hours in a boat together yeah. catching up because like you and I. And we solved half the world's problems. <laughs> we saw most of them just the yeah. other day. Yeah. But yeah. we haven't fished together. It's probably been almost, probably more than a year. Yeah. It seems like. Because our schedules are so, so messed yeah. up. But nobody ever asks about that. You know, they never ask about the trip out to Almont. Right. Where we, where there was not enough oxygen out there, number one for yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't that day. I mean, in three days, right. you, you just don't get acclimated right. for whatever it was. But you don't talk about the well, what, what kind of wildlife did you see? Mm-hmm. Well, we saw some goats, some elk, 
Yeah. Uh, some a moose. Yeah, we did. We saw a lot of different things, yeah. but nobody asked that. They just think, oh, you went fishing, yeah. which a lot of people think is a little weird. Right, they do. But Let's face it. <laughs> yeah, but it's more, especially if you're putting them back. Yeah. You yeah. know, oh, you do, did you eat them all? No, I didn't eat any of them. Yeah. You know, we had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's weird yeah. to a lot of folks that don't fish. But they never ask about the experience as a whole. You kind of force feed that to them at different right. times in the conversation. And, and then they kind of sometimes get it, but yeah. not really. They they. they politely smile and act like they try to understand it, you know? Yeah. But no. a lot of times if, if they're not a fisherman, they, they're missing a big piece of it if they haven't ever experienced it. And all they can think of is, man, I'd have ate one of those trout anyway. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, now they're a little greasy. Yeah. Really oily. I don't really care for them. I get really? that so much in the Smokies. It'll, well, you know, be walking up the trail above Elkmont or up above Tremont or somewhere going to fish somewhere. And, you know, half of the hikers, you know, ask us, are there fish in here which of course you know we're just walking up the side of the mountain with a fly rod for fun and the other half are if you caught supper yet you know it's like oh no they're still in the stream and they kind of look at you funny like you know they don't they don't get that well half of them are appalachian trail hikers who have been thinking about food for yeah, the past you know true. 70 days straight yeah. about what am i going to eat when they I would get eat the trout raw the, the whole thing right. tail and all <laughs> So I think, David, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wrap this thing up here with, with just this story yeah. of our our musky hunts the first year. Yeah. To set it up, I'm going to say that uh, we went to the fly fishing film tour, or I did, mm-hmm. and there was a musky movie, in, yeah. you know, short film, whatever right. they call them, about a guy in Wisconsin, Brad, somebody, uh, and there were him and some other couple other guys were catching musky and they were catching big ones and that was like on a tuesday night well i guess sometime tuesday night after that i thought well i know there's some musky around here yeah. pretty close we're gonna go see if we can catch one fish of ten thousand casts, blah 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 right. that stuff kind of gets old after a while but anyway so i call up brent he's yeah. the first one i called yep. i say hey brent i'm headed up to cumberland transit and i'm gonna buy a 10 weight you want to go musky fishing well i mean he's brent's a great fisherman yeah and he's a fishy guy, man. He's he can a catch some fish. And I've never named, I've never never known him to go, Oh, you're going to fish for big fish? Yeah, I really don't want to go to, yeah. to do that. So he, he's in for he's sure. He's in both feet. I call you up and yeah. I say, Hey, I'm going to buy a ten weight. Uh do you want to come musky fish with us? And of course you're a fishy guy. I've never seen you turn down a chance to catch a big fish. You said, True. yeah, I'll go. And we met in the parking lot, ran the boat, uh, ran the shuttle. And I think it was like 23 degrees or something. It's very yeah, similar to what it, it is today. Cold that very morning. cold. Steam coming off yeah. the water. And <laughs> fog, maybe. My plan was to hopefully see one of these things. So we start off down the river and probably 45 minutes in, mm-hmm. I'm looking over at this wall. Uh, that I, and I'm thinking, man, it'd be a great place for a big old brown trout to lean up against mm-hmm. that wall, maybe smoking a cigarette, mm-hmm. you know, waiting for something big to come by. When all of a sudden David's in the back of the boat, I hear him say, he's got one. And as I'm turning around, I'm saying, he's got one what? And this whole conversation's going on within a blink of an eye. He's got one. He's got one what? It's a musk. I turn around. As I'm turning my head, I see the rod doubled over my brand new 10 weight. And yeah. Brent basically is trying to hang on for dear life and strip. And now I'm starting to work the boat on a river I don't know. Yeah. We were just going into a, we were at the top of a shoal. Yep. That kind of went to the left. Yep. I remember that. I can't exactly. remember. <laughs> I can't remember what happened yesterday, but I remember everything yep. about this. Anyway, we fought it. We net it finally. Mm-hmm. It gets it to the net. It jumps out of the net. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. Yep. We get it back in the net. Right. We take the fly out. We do all that stuff. Take the picture. Yeah. I'm like, dude, we need to smoke a cigar. Brent yeah. sits down and says, well, that wasn't that hard. Yeah. And then we went to the rest of that trip in the next three trips yeah. without even that. seeing another fish. Yeah. 
Just definitely didn't catch one. And we fished most of that winter together. Yeah. Me, you, Brent. We went several times. Yeah. You would have some of the best casts ever. Yeah. And, you know, a fish would follow. Yeah. Open its mouth, flare its gills. Yep. For some reason. Including a couple big ones. I mean, we saw some oh, nice yeah. fish. Yeah, there was really some really nice, nice fish. fish. And then one day, it was it was April or May. It was starting to get warm. Yeah. And, the, and the, the buds were starting to turn on the trees. So it was that warm. Yeah. It was warm enough in, in middle Tennessee to wear shorts and sandals and a t-shirt. <laughs> and I remember that's what I was wearing. I remember that's what you were wearing. And I wouldn't remember that if it Except wasn't for this. For. <laughs> so David is fishing uh, a white... A gurgler, what's it called? Whatever it is, it's kind of a topwater fly that dives oh, yeah. on a floating oh. line. Which I thought, there's no way this is going to yeah. work. We're going to go another zero stealth bomber, stuff. giant stealth bomber, really Huge big. One. It's probably six, seven, eight inches long, like a saltwater hook. Yeah, yeah, something goofy. I don't even know what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. So we we're we're now we're ten minutes, fifteen minutes maybe into this float at most. Yeah. And we're running down this bank, and David throws this thing in. And I'm actually looking down at this time, and I hear it hit. Well, number one, whenever you get a fish on, you straighten up real hard, and your feet kind of hit the floor, which jerks the boat, which makes yeah. me look up to see what the heck's going on. So I did. I looked up, and your rod's been over double. Now, if you're out there listening, just remember, it's been about four months of us fishing for these musk, probably somewhere in there. Yeah. Easy. David's seen them. David's had a couple hits. He's had a bunch of follows, a yeah. whole bunch of follows, yep. a bunch of flares, a bunch of open mouths, but nothing to show for it. Brent's caught one or two. Mm-hmm. I've caught one or two. Yep. Some other people have gone with us and caught one, and or, caught two. one or two. But David <laughs> Usually is, on their first trip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, we've got to get this done. So anyway, yeah. that's what's that's, that's the setup of this story. So the fish hits. David straightens up, sets the hook, <laughs> and he starts just stripping like a madman. Well, it's not out there that far. Maybe it's 30 feet away. Yeah, that's Maybe. what I was thinking, about 30 feet. He brings this fish right straight to the boat. And on I'm, a straight line, too. A, yeah. There was no fight to it. I mean, it was like, <laughs> he's coming. coming in. Yeah. And I'm thinking, as he's coming, I'm thinking, he's not, I mean, he's going to fight this thing for a yeah. little bit and enjoy it. And then, nope, next thing I know, he's right there beside the boat. And before you had to turn around and say, are you going to net this thing? I was like, all right, bringing the hot fish in the boat. Here he comes. <laughs> so I reached down in there and I scoop the fish up and i just hand you the net and everything you know if you're gonna bring a hot fish in the boat you don't want anything to do with it that's chomping around i'm not i'm not doing anything it's all yours now bubba so david gets himself together i start digging for the camera because this is a monumental occasion we haven't we haven't had one for david yet and we need to you know as my uncle always says get the camera so we can prove we were out right it's for a totally different reason so we're you know i'm digging for the camera and david's working to get the, the hook out of the mouth of this fish well, as he's doing that, this dang fish somehow flops out of the net onto the floor. Well, whether it was sandals again. Yeah. Yeah. And and somebody out there saying, oh, my gosh, you heard a muskie. Trust me, this fish was not hurt. He wasn't worn out. No. He was. I mean, he fell two foot. Yeah. He was thrown off a bridge as a little little baby muskie. Right. So I'm pretty sure he's okay. And the reason why I'm pretty sure he's okay for real is because his mouth was going 100 miles an hour. I mean, he was chomping. He I've was never, looking for some toes. Yeah, I've never seen anybody jump from the floor of a drift boat up <laughs> into the up into the front seat off the floor as fast as you did. I still played some basketball back in those days. I'm telling you. Yeah, we talked about that yeah. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's reaching down there trying to get it. Finally gets the hold of the thing and he's He's like almost out of breath. There was a lot going on. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. We got this all our, happened in like fifteen seconds. Something oh, I'd add too. I mean, this fish is just going nuts. Yeah, it wasn't because he didn't get played on the way in. Yeah. Oh wait, it was. <laughs> 
So anyway, that's the, that's the story of David's first musky, and, and, a, and a great, great story. I tell it quite a bit. I'm sure you probably tell it, hopefully, yeah. close to what I, I gets close to my view. Times, yeah. My view was interesting because I've never seen anybody move quite that fast. Yeah. Well, man, it's been real. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, if you've stuck around, we sure appreciate it. Uh, if you've stuck around this long, I think that you've done a really good job uh, bringing us along on, on your path of, of where you started till up until now and some of the crazy things that we've all seen uh, and some of the great things and the, the good people that we've all experienced. Mm-hmm. And hopefully if, you're out, hopefully if you're out there listening, you've experienced a lot of the same things, maybe in a different format or a different yeah. form, but there really are a lot of good people in this sport or pastime or lifestyle yeah. or whatever we're calling it, you know, whatever the advertisement gimmick is right. for it. When it gets around right down to it, there are a lot of good things that go on. But if you've listened this far, we appreciate it. And we would appreciate a five-star rating. Like I said before, uh, that's kind of what helps us get noticed. And I mean, we're not necessarily trying to sell anything here, but it is, it is good to, to know that some folks are out there listening. If you have any questions for David, if, one more time, where can they find you? Uh, TroutZoneAnglers.com. You can also email me at TroutZoneAnglers.com anglers at gmail.com and you can check out my old blog thetroutzone.com as well and like i said there's not probably a whole lot on there new stuff but there's a lot of old stuff and i'll probably get around to writing a little bit this winter again yeah and as you cruise through that thing that i like to look back at the month that i'm gonna fish like mm-hmm. on my on my my fishing report yeah i'll go back a couple of years at the, like this month yeah all right what was i doing three or four or five years mm-hmm. ago that i can dig back up and maybe try again yeah. you know like there's a lot of things that, that i've tried put out there right. sat down forgot about for whatever reason like, oh i remember doing that i'm gonna yeah. do that again it's you interesting know? how we get away from doing certain things and trying new things out and then it's interesting the things that trigger us to come back to those old things because old things still work oh yeah for good absolutely. reason too i might add yeah and in your your blog the the trout zone blog excellent place to go get information you know maybe from two three four five six seven eight nine years yeah. ago and from the month that you're listening to this, maybe it may be worth a cruise back through there through the different years. Anyway, this has been the Southeastern Fly. This is the Angler's Influence. And uh, we appreciate you listening and hope to see you next time. Thanks, David. Thank you, David.